The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. On today's episode, Andrew and I close up our left-handed quarterbacks month with Ken Snake Stabler. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Matt Johnson, and this is the Two Point Conversation. Happy Friday, my friend. It is uh, another month down, my man. Jeez. They go quick. They really do. I like how we have the theme set up. I think it does go by. Uh, it helps the months go by quicker. Um, yep. At least it certainly seems like it because. Yeah. Yeah. Another four. Another four episodes down. Not too shabby. As we get ready, we get um, we get prepared to head into our military heroes uh, month for July. That is going to be our theme next month. So uh, people who serve in the military and play play professional football, that will be uh, who is honored in this, in, in, in our upcoming month. So it should be a lot of fun, a lot of great names to talk about, but before we get there, we have, uh, we got to close, we got to close up left-handed quarterbacks month. Um, Andrew, this was one you, you have wanted to talk about for a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's uh take it away. Take it away. Yeah, it's it's a snake. Or I'm sorry, snake. Ken Snake Stabler. Because I found out that it's not the snake. It just prefers snake. But Ken Stabler was born on Christmas Day in 1945. And he was born in Foley, Alabama. Uh very good f- baseball player, really loved baseball. His father wanted him to play football. So pretty much to kind of bribe him into playing more football than baseball, he bought him a car. He said, I'll buy you a car if you if you kind of switch over a little bit to a little Which is bit. weird to think that's weird to think retrospectively, because I, I you would think, right, baseball probably had more money in it around that time. Yeah, but I think it was more of it's Alabama. That's yeah, oh, I get you the pride of, of football. Yeah, I get that. It's Alabama. That I think that's the only thing that I could think of. But uh, he led his high school football team to uh, twenty nine and one in his high school football career, and he also received contract offers in high school from the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. But he turned those down and was recruited by the late great bear Bryant at the university of Alabama. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. Now, I mean, you know, probably know a little bit more about this than I do. Was Alabama like as heralded uh, back then as it is nowadays? Oh yeah. Bear. I would even say today, especially with bear Bryant, 
Um, to put it in perspective, when Bo Jackson was being recruited by Auburn and Alabama, yeah, Barry Bryant called him on the phone and he stated that people would come to his house just to see the phone because Bear Bryant called called him on that phone. Right. So Alabama has always been huge. Bear Bryant, uh, before I think Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden, I know I don't know if we're allowed to say Joe Paterno anymore, but uh, Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden beat the, he was the all-time winningest uh, football coach in college football history was Mr. Right. Bear Bryant. Okay. So they were good through the 60s, the 70s, into the 80s when Bear finally hung it up. And then Saban kind of, then eventually Saban comes along and. Yeah. 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 Well, no, leaving for Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but it's funny that it, you said that, but due to NCAA regulations, he was unable to play as a freshman, which is a rule that they've obviously got rid of, but he was a freshman on the 1964 team that won the national championships with quarterbacks, your favorite Joe Namath. Yeah. (laughs) As a sophomore, he kind of played sparingly. It wasn't until about his junior year where he took over the starting position, uh, led the team to an undefeated record and beat Nebraska in the Sugar Bowl. But they were snubbed in the poll, so that's why they didn't why they didn't win the national championship. Uh senior the offense struggled his senior year. And so during that Bear Bryant kicked Stabler off the team for cutting class and partying, though he did give him a second chance and he made him wear what is called the dreaded brown jersey. So I guess that's like the bad thing. And there's a story that Namath tells where, where Bear was getting on him and Namath actually sent him a telegram at this point. And I was like, a telegram. <laughs> <laughs> cause, probably because I've been watching all of the family and that's like set in the seventies. And they were like, son, we got to send him a telegram, but it doesn't seem that weird to me, but he just pretty much supposedly sent Stabler a telegram telling him that Bear doesn't mess around and he might as well just do what he tells him to do and then get out. Oh, interesting. So <laughs> Joe knew it was up. But he Who, have- that's weird to think about Joe Namath being the uh the voice of reason. Um <laughs> I, I guess when you kind of look at him, you know, his NFL tenure and everything that Joe Namath stood for, that's that's weird, but at least I think he was, just, he was just trying to help his friend out in the long run get to the NFL. I think I think Stabler's even more wilder than Namath by seeing some things that I saw. Huh. That's hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, so in 1968, he was picked in the second round by the Oakland Raiders in the NFL-AFL draft. The reigning AFL champions, he was the fifth quarterback taken. So here's some here's some names here. Greg Landry, great retro fantasy quarterback. Uh, Eldridge Dickey, he was the and Gary Beban, I think he was the Heisman Trophy winner, and Mike Livingston. Hmm. 
and also once again the Astros and the or the Yankees, Astro, Mets were drafted. Yankees drafted them in '66. Uh, the Mets drafted them in '67, and the Astros drafted them in '68. That's insane. That's insane. Like I feel like once you get drafted, they kind of hold your play. They should hold your player rights. I know it was the '60s, and it was a very different era, but. And I don't know. I, I now they have. I, I I would rather just. I mean, I love the glory and stuff of football, but baseball you could probably get a nice long career out of. It, now they have like the Rule Five draft, where if you're not on the forty man roster, another team can draft you. Mm. So if you're like stagnant, that's what happened to Russell Wilson. I think he was with the Rockies, and then the. Rangers drafted him in the Rule 5 draft, and that was like a big thing. Okay. Uh, He did not play right away. Matter of fact, he signed a two-year contract with the Raiders in 1968 and was moved to the Spokane Shockers of the Continental Football League, and I looked this up, and it was kind of what we talked about before. This was a little bit more of a minor league team for the United Football League, but the United Football League went under. Uh, he played two games before being recalled by the Raiders in in November. And at this point, they still have – this was kind of a rocky thing because you still have Daryl O'Monica. So that's probably why, like, why is he not starting automatically? Yeah, he was – I mean, he was towards the end of his tenure. Didn't he go to – I think he uh, – Monica, didn't he go to, like, Buffalo – um, not too long he, after that, he started in Buffalo, I believe. Oh, did he? Oh, so it, okay. Yeah, yeah. Daryl Monica. I know he played for Buffalo, but I believe he started. He started in there. Let me double check. Let me double check. Oh no, he went to. It, oh, he was no, because he was bad. Yeah, he started in Buffalo, sixty-three to sixty-six. Okay, but he was still getting. I eh, was kind of. He wasn't. He'd been around for a little while. No, it wasn't long enough. It wasn't long enough quite yet. But, um, but yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, Al Davis likes strong arm quarterbacks that can push the ball downfield. Jamarcus Russell doesn't matter about what else there is, but there, and that's what Lamonica was, where Stabler didn't have that strong of an arm. And at this point, it was a lot of, uh, he wanted to be traded. He'd go to Al Davis, say, trade me. Al Davis, tell him to go stand on your head. That's exactly what he was told. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) In in 69, he left the Raiders. He did, however, come back. He said, I'll be back in pro football in June. January 1970, it was reported Stablers and head coach John Madden agreed that he would return in training camp in July. Stabler made his first regular season appearance in 1970. He was, uh, so in 1970 and 72, he is a part of the fame uh, immaculate reception game, which a lot of people, we've kind of done this before the play before the big play. Right. Like what erases it, and he had this amazing run. 
in that game. And it was all erased right before the immaculate reception. It was all erased because of the immaculate reception. Yeah, I think we brought that. Yeah, we've definitely brought that up before. Um, we, we've talked about that situation, how how people forget how, how good of a play that was. But, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. That, that's the, you know, that got erased. Especially because you don't think of Ken Stabler as a as a rushing quarterback, right? I I never thought of him that way, but after doing research and looking at him, the guy could move back in the day. Hmm. But going back to the Lamonica thing, the reason why Lamonica was phased out, and it's it's kind of cool in a way because we always talk about changing of the game because defense were going to more zone. Stabler was the better fit where LaMonica was fine with that old school man to man. My guy beat your guy. So therefore he's going to be open. I can whip the ball down the field. Right. Got into zone. LaMonica could not read his own defense from Mm -hmm. what I understood where Stabler, not a strong arm accurate. And he could place the ball and pick you apart or push it down the field. So it kind of LaMonica couldn't change so therefore he was out of the job there i see i see that's that's it is interesting uh we don't really think about the changing of the times uh kind of thing but you know we have mentioned that you know the game has outgrown uh certain coaches and their philosophies and then it's time to move on you don't really hear about it too much with players um you know because i'm sure man coverage was like the be all end all and then once they expanded to zone uh, it probably threw a lot of people off. It probably threw a lot of people off. You have to try and predict, you know, coverage and, uh, you know, along with the routes that you're you're calling. That's I never really thought of that before. Yeah, I'm I sure that was a very weird time period for a lot of uh, those old generation quarterbacks. To see some guy just come out of nowhere, like, oh, that guy's wide open. It's like when my son plays Madden and he's like. Oh, that guy's open. And then I'm like, nope, watch that safety come right over and pick off that ball. There you go. Uh, <laughs> after having severe knee injury, Stabler became less of a scrambling quarterback and more as a classic drop back pass passer known for his accuracy and uncanny ability to lead late in the game. I'll leave that to you. If you look at the bottom of pro football focus, I didn't realize this. They tell you how many game-winning drives. Yes, PFR does comes too. back. Yep. Yeah, or I'm sorry, PFR. I'm old, so <laughs> <laughs> I can't get anything. Uh, and it wasn't until, but he did win the MVP in '74. And at the Raiders, at this point, is a little weird. They have a really great team. You got Cliff Branch. You got. Fred Blitnikoff, you got Dave Casper, you got probably the best duo on the offensive line ever in Art Shell and Gene Upshaw, but it was just those pesky uh, Pittsburgh Steelers that they just couldn't get through at this point. So in the start of the 76 season, they did, Stabler said the only way that we're going to probably get through Pittsburgh is we need to make sure that we are the number one seed and they have to come here to play, which they did. And that is the year that they finally made it to the Super Bowl and won 
and to show what kind of person Al Davis is, uh, Stabler went up to Al Davis and said, hey, we, we did it. And Al Davis said, can you do it again? Mm. Not even like congratulations or anything. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the most Al Davis things I've ever heard, being really uh, just what's next. But you know what, though? That's a championship kind of mentality, right? Brady. Yeah. Brady wins a ring, you know, or, or Belichick. Belichick is, a, is another one. You know, whatever you did it, that's cool. Let's let's run it back. You know what I mean? That it, it, it's it's last season. Uh, now it's next time. Now it's next season. But and I think too, uh, to your point of trying to get the the Steelers to go to Oakland, uh, that was very early on when they started actually doing that system, right? Because mm-hmm. before it was a, uh, it, it wasn't random, but they had a way to. Uh, they had a they had a system of doing it because you could be the number one seed but travel uh, in the in the conference championship game, correct? I do believe so, yeah. Because I think in the seventy two season, Miami had to go to Pittsburgh or something crazy like yes, that. Yes, or... yeah. I forgot what the the entire situation was, but um, but yeah, I did read that before, which is very interesting. So this is a, this is a new new thing, but that's a that's a pretty cool philosophy to be like, yeah, they got to come here. And they gotta they gotta go up against you know our crowd and and it essentially that's that's pretty neat. Wall in Oakland though, this guy has I love games with names, and he's probably played in the most. Like I said, immaculate reception, uh, seventy seven playoffs, ghost to the post. Uh, before I believe before that was also sea of hands against the Dolphins, and then a play that once again changed changed the NFL. The Holy Roller game. I don't know if you've ever seen this against uh, Oakland. Against Oakland? Or I'm sorry, against San Diego. <laughs> uh, Holy Roller. I have heard of it, but I've never, I'm, I don't know the uh, the entire situation around it. Okay. So they're playing against San Diego. The Stabler's about to go down. He looks like he, it almost looks like he throws it. They rule it a fumble. And then Dave Casper, like, kicks it three times and you could see it like it makes it look like he's trying to pick it up but he picks it up three times before he before he grabs it in the end zone for a touchdown and this is why we have the Ken Stabler rule with permitting only the fumbling player can recover the ball during the fourth down of a play or during any down played after two after the two minute warning or halftime. And also why you get into that stupid, crazy thing where certain offensive players cannot advance a fumble Hmm. because it's all because of the Holy roller play. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Unfortunately, Ken did not ever go back to the Super Bowl with the Raiders. And in after having, like I said, not going anywhere in 77, 78, or 79, he was traded to the Houston Oilers for Dan Pastorini. Oh, they did a QB swap? Yeah. Because Al Davis just had enough of them. Nothing more, nothing less. Davis is an interesting character in NFL history. I I learned recently, not learned, but um, but, uh, I, I remember, uh, was it cliff lane or cliff kiff 
Um, oh, Lane Kiffin. Uh, Lane Kiffin. Firing him or something like that. It, it, it was one of like his last things. He announced it like over a projector or something like yeah. that. There's a whole press conference about it. Um, yeah, Al Davis is an interesting cat. Pretty ruthless. Pretty ruthless when it comes to uh, football stuff, which is crazy to think because, I mean, his team was pretty popular. I, I understand you know, his ruthlessness has probably led to a lot of the, you know, the, 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 how popular the Raiders were back in the seven, you know, seventies and eighties and, and, and whatnot. But um, you think he have a little bit more success, you know what I mean? Like long-term who Al Davis or yeah. Al Davis is Raiders. I, Absolutely. I think he was so Ron Wolf said it best in Elway to Marino if his mind wasn't so focused on off the field issues, like him wanting to move Los Angeles, moving the team, he feels the team would have been better. Right. That there would have, that he probably would have got a trade done. That's a good conspiracy too. I can't wait for October for that, that he probably would have got LA Marino in the 83 draft, which would have prolonged the Raiders. Hmm. For many, many years, he put, he's a weird guy. He put Marcus Allen in. That's why if you look at Marcus Allen's numbers later in his career, they're just pure trash compared to what people would say about him. Cause Al Davis was like, I just don't like you. Right. So I think that kind of happened with Stabler. He kind of fell off. And it's, om- I think I started thinking when I was doing the research, and it's almost kind of a what if. Uh, if Madden didn't retire, would he have made sure Ken Stabler was still his quarterback? Like, would he have said something to Al Davis and said, listen, this is my quarterback. Right. Because Madden said if he could pick one quarterback to have a game-winning drive, it would be Ken Stabler. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand that. I mean, like, I look at it, there are, I mean, we've seen that happen a lot of time where coach, certain coaches protect, you know, certain players, quarterbacks, stuff like that. They're very protective over who they have running their system and such. We've seen that with, uh, Oh God! It was Schottenheimer, the Schottenheimer Breeze Rivers situation. We've seen that in a lot of instances, uh, but this might be the earliest one that I ever heard of. Yeah, he, Al Davis is so weird. Come on, the guy <laughs> drafted a punter in the first round. There, that paid off. The guy is the only punter in the Hall of Fame, right? So, but he was, uh, yeah, just quarterback swap. Like, give me Dan Pastorini, and I'll take Ken Stabler. Which is kind of, I think the Oilers were maybe looking for something because at this point they're getting beat the past two years by the Raiders in, or not the Raiders, by the Steelers in the AFC championship game. Right. So why don't we go get a quarterback that has beaten the Steelers before? But when he left, he was the all time leader in completions, passing yards, and touchdowns for the Raiders. So. He did leave out there. Unfortunately, uh, oh, also the other thing that Bob Phillips did too is in the middle of the year, he went out and got Dave Casper. So he could reunite Casper and 
uh, stabler together. Trying to recapture that magic. I respect it. Yep. That so, could be that month that we talked about players, you know, with their, you know, doing good things with their friends in other places that we talked that, about. That's a pretty good little trio there too. That probably never succeeded a little bit more because you got Stabler, Earl Campbell and Dave Casper. Right. But unfortunately, uh, they didn't really do anything. Dan Pastorini actually lost his job to Jim Plunkett, and Jim Plunkett went on to go win two Super Bowls. <laughs> uh, since they didn't do anything in 1980, uh, Bum Phillips was fired shortly after this season. And then Mr. Stabler was released after the 81 season. And he ended back up rejoining with Bum in New Orleans, where uh, not not too great at all. In New Orleans, he did almost get him to the playoffs, which is pretty big for New Orleans there. But he just wasn't his son, same self. In a nineteen after the nineteen eighty four season, he retired from the NFL. So it's it's an interesting career that when you look at it in a nutshell, you're like, wow, how is this guy in the Hall of Fame? But I think he kind of deserves. He's definitely maybe a top, geez, maybe top two, three quarterback in just for in the decade that he played. He's such a he's a character and a great player, which you don't get too much. I still love his quote about him not uh, just getting enough sleep and partying all the time. And all he said was, how much sleep do you need to go out and play for three hours? And <laughs> reading the game plan by the light of the jukebox. So at least he read the game plan. We got to give him that much. But he's just a very interesting very very interesting guy probably after watching things he might even be cooler than joe namath in my eyes joe namath's like a rick flair still in a way he's a little bit more flamboyant but ken stabler was just i think he was a he was a different type of cat and probably one of the coolest cats ever the smiley face sticker on the back of his helmet the way that he he just well, with the Raiders, he always had a clean pocket. It's pretty easy when you got that offensive line. But he's definitely a very interesting individual. And he did he was he was featured on Saturday Night Live. And your boy Jake the Snake Roberts <laughs> took that nickname because of a as a tribute to him. I guess he's in NFL Streets. And he appears on All Pro Football for Two K Eight. No kidding. I I do I I've never owned NFL Street. It's a, a confession of mine. But I I do gotta find. I'm gonna have to find it at some point. Uh, he did like I said. He did because he ended up having colon cancer and he died July eighth of two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. Inducted after after his death. That's that's. Do you think he should have been first ballot, or he didn't do enough? I. It's so hard. 
I mean, he is an MVP. I it's it's kind of hard when you haven't seen a guy play firsthand. Right. That's I think that's we kind of did that yesterday when we were doing the thing like you had the magic man as a fourth and I had him at a three. And I think if I would have seen him play and if I would have known somebody actually seen him play, maybe that could have been a thing, but I always thought he was going to make it in the hall of fame. I don't know if he's first ballot though. Let me, uh, I want to look at his class. Uh, his first year of eligibility would have been, I believe 89. Yeah, because what is it, five years? Yeah, it's five years. So if it end of 84, if he retires, I think is so 85, 86, 87, 88, 89 would have been his first year of eligibility, from my understanding. This is a really good class. This is a really good class. Um, Mel Blunt, Terry Bradshaw, Art Shell, Willie Wood. There's a lot of good finalists too. Al Davis was in there. <laughs> Al Davis was in there. He's not even a finalist, unless I'm mistaken on the year. Uh, the finalists that year were Buck Buchanan, Carl Eller, Bob Greasy, Ted Hendricks, Leroy Kelly, Tom Mack, John Mackey, uh, Lynn Swan, Bud Grant, Al Davis, and then Henry Jordan in the senior bunch. Let me see what 1980 would have looked like. Oh, 1980 or 1990, he was a finalist. Yeah. 1990, he was a finalist. Um, but Buck Maybe. Buchanan got in. Greasy got in that year. Franco got in. Ted Hendricks, Jack Lambert. Um, but Stabler, Stabler and Jack Youngblood. That was the year Tom Landry got in, too. Youngblood is the man. He yeah. played a game on a broken leg. Let's see. Yep. Finalist in 91. Not even on at 92. Yeah, because Jan Stetterud, you got to put him in there. He's like the greatest kicker of all time. John Hanna's probably next to Larry Allen, the greatest guard of all time. And then you got Earl Campbell. Yeah, he's completely washed out. I don't know how many opportunities you get. Um, what you do? Oh, he finally made it. He wasn't a senior, was he? He had to have been. If he got in in 2016, he had to have been in a senior. Because he was, like I said, he was eligible in I think eighty nine or ninety, and he was in the he was a two time finalist, but just didn't get in. Let's so see. many good players. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, you're you're competing against a lot of great players from the seventies and eighties, uh, you know, and those were the ones that really put the NFL on the map. So, plus two, you got to think about his position, right? That's yeah. He was know? he was a senior. Him and Dick Stanfell. Got in as seniors. Well, at least he got in. Yeah. I could see him getting in as a senior. That makes sense. A little bit more sense to me than looking at the other guys. Like looking at some other quarterbacks. Is he, see, I would take him over Kurt Warner. Uh, That's how many, how many Super Bowls does he have? He has one. He has one. He has one and an MVP. Stable does. Warner has one and two MVPs. So, so these are all like his highlights and kind of awards for the NFL. Uh, 
one-time Super Bowl winner, one-time most valuable player in 74, offensive player of the year in 74, first-team All-Pro in 74, second-team All-Pro in 76, four-time Pro Bowler 73, 74, 76, and 77, uh, touchdown leader in 74 and 76, completion percentage leader, which I think is a huge stat. Yeah. Three nineteen seventy-eight. Um in seventy-three and seventy-six, uh passing rating leader in seventy-six, and Burt Bell Award winner in seventy-six, and the nineteen you made the nineteen seventies all decade team. And you gotta think when it comes down to all pro, it sounds crazy, but he's with Fran Tarkenton, Bob Greasy when he was actually healthy, Terry Bradshaw, and guys of those guys like that. So he played in a pretty decent quarterback era. Yeah, no, he, uh, he most certainly did. So it's, uh, it's, it's tough. And again, there's a lot of other talented people too. So um, tough class, tough class to be a uh, tough era to kind of get in. I think people will look at it like if, you know, if like, like right now, the quarterback classes that are, that are going to be coming up, Eli, Ben, Rivers. I mean, Peyton's already in, but, you know, Brady's around the corner. Um, and there's so many – Drew Brees, I don't want to forget about him. And, you know what I mean, somebody's going to get pushed out. Somebody's going to get phased out where, you know, maybe they're not in right away, right? Yeah. I think, unfortunately, it's going to probably be Rivers just because he doesn't have a ring. Right. But where Breeze has the stats and a ring, Eli's got the two rings, and then Ben's got two rings and decent stats as well. So, so yeah, so there is uh, Mr. Ken Stabler. Uh, well, let's what's up? Oh, I just wanted to when we're when we're all done, I want to go uh, top five favorite left-handed quarterbacks real quick. Top five. Yeah, um, throw that at you there. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> um, I mean, I think my favorite's gonna be. I think it's gonna be Brunel. Okay. Um, I probably. I gotta put Vic in there. Hate the off-field stuff, but dude, he was electric. He'd probably be my number two. Um. Now, let me rephrase that. Brunel, Steve Young, Michael Vick. Uh, then I'll go Boomer as my four. And then, honestly, probably, probably Stabler, number five. Trying to think of some, you know, think of some other ones. I'm trying to get a little refresher on the list, but um, yeah. they think that's probably that's probably how I'd have them. If I had to do favorites, and it's these are, these are favorites, so I got I got to make sure I say this properly because I'll get somebody go, what? How do you leave him off the list? But this is this is favorites. I would go Boomer at one. Boomer's my number one guy. All right. Stabler two. 
Brunel. Ah, uh, kind of a, I'm kind of a fan of him there, even though he's not the greatest. It's Scott Mitchell. And you know what? I was going to put Vic at five, but I think Steve, I have more fonder memories with Steve Young. So I gotcha. Those are my top five, but Scott Mitchell try to keep my dolphins afloat, even though he didn't do that great, but <laughs> I respect it. But, um, but that is it, everybody. That is a wrap on this week's episode. Um, this month's theme next week, uh, I will probably be by my probably be by myself um, as of right now by myself we're going to talk about some of the military heroes who played in the national football league as a way to kind of honor um everybody in you know it's it's july it's it's america month uh this is what i call it uh fourth fourth of july is my personal favorite holiday and i want to kind of I, i wanted to use it to to honor you know military service members um, who've put their life on the line for the sake of, um, you know, our, our, our freedoms. It, it's, you know, I, I know it's, it's really, really tough right now to, to discuss everything. Everybody's so divided politically. Um, but I, I do love where I live. I, I am proud of it in all its imperfections. And I don't, think we can have that if it wasn't for members of our military so uh, and of course there's many others who paved the way too i did want to say that but um but yeah i I thought it was i thought it was fair to do this uh this theme for this upcoming month so that's what we will be doing can't wait for that one so many so many good ones certainly is certainly is But that is it. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. We appreciate you as always. And on behalf of Andrew and I, until next time, the two-point conversation is good.